Amy Souter, your host for the Tip of the Iceberg podcast and the Packers Editor of Retail Education and Produce Market Guide, PMG for short. This is our second partnered episode with Zag Technologies for a series on technology and produce, from the field to packing house to retail shelf. Our two co-host partners chat with Andy Tudor, president of AT Ag Consulting, based in Yakima, Washington, as they explore simplicity of ag tech in solving problems, that it isn't always actual quote-unquote computer tech, but any kind of new technology that solves a problem, from robot palletizers and sorting machines to organic apple coatings, and what all of this means for labor. Andy has worked in produce sales and marketing for more than 30 years, with an emphasis on organics. Before starting his own consulting firm, he was vice president of business development at Rainier Fruit Company, where he developed marketing partnerships with major retailers in the U.S. and Canada, generating double-digit year-over-year growth while pioneering predictive analytics in the industry. He earned a bachelor's degree in ag economics from Washington State University. Before we dive in, don't forget the next contest of the Produce Artist Award Series is coming up fast, and it's all about spring and early summer merchandising displays. Send us six to 10 photos of your current store produce displays, along with your name, job title, company, and location to artists at producemarketguide.com. That's artists plural with an S. This contest categories include produce manager, best produce merchandiser, mangoes, Vidalia onions, berries, melons, and sweet corn. But back to Andy Tudor and the interview, and let's join the conversation. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast with the Packer and talking all things ag tech. I'm your host, Rob Collins, the Director of Marketing and Technical Services, and I'm joined by my co-host, Melinda Goodman, at Full Tilt Marketing. Today, we're joined by an industry legend. Andy yes, Ch- he is. Andy Tudor at Ag Consulting. So Andy brings more than 30 years of industry experience in production, sales, business development, and category management to his consulting business, where he specializes in finding unique industry solutions to operational challenges. So, hey, Andy, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. I certainly appreciate the opportunity to learn from the both of you. I don't think I have anything to teach you, Andy. You (laughs) have been like Yoda for a long time. (laughs) So, Andy, I mean, you know, Rob and I are here to talk ag tech. Uh, you know, we've, we've been doing that for months now. But you've been in the industry a long time, long enough to see a lot of changes in the business, uh, many of them driven by tech, some of them big, some of them small, some of them complex. What's the biggest or best change you've seen happen in the industry because of tech? Whew, that's a big one. I guess we'll start at one end of packing and go to the other. So when I look at sorting technology that's evolved, you know, back when I started in this industry, those were all human decisions. They picked out sizes and grades and defects and all those things. And now the sorting technology brings a consistency to the end product and consumer. It just it amazes me that you think of people back picking up an apple by hand and looking at it. And now that apple goes under a sorter and it gets 60 pictures taken of it inside and outside. 
I didn't even think about that. Andy, when did that sorting technology really start being widely used? Yeah, in the 90s, it started coming in in bits and pieces, and it evolved pretty rapidly in the in the 2000s. And, and you know, looking at the strides it's made, on it, and now you can take 70 photographs of a cherry, right? It's sort of cherry for the stem color and the size and the firmness. It's just amazing to me. Yeah, that's, that's pretty remarkable when you think about that, of how we can look at that. And I think at the at the other end of the spectrum, just the robot pelletizers, right? Everybody used to come into a warehouse and they always started stacking boxes. Nobody wants to make a career out of stacking boxes, but that was kind of the entry level part of the deal. And now you see that piece taken out, which is fine. It's great. It should be. That's backbreaking work on the deal. And people can come in at a higher level now into the warehouse environment versus having to start at stacking boxes. So it's kind of one end of the packing line to the other. To me, that's really been a, an interesting process and, you know, super accelerated over my career path. Hey, Rob, Andy makes a great point really about something we talk about a lot in the industry today. Not only do we have a labor issue, but we're rife for upskilling at this point. Like we're not hiring guys to come in and stack boxes, right? Like we're needing to upskill current employees and new employees to run pretty sophisticated machinery. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, what's going to happen would assume is certainly some people than me think about these things all the time, right? Is what do those roles look like? Does the person on the line, do they now need to have the skills to manage that system? And what does that then do to the hiring and then the upskilling of those people? So typically with technology, there's always this fear of, oh, there's going to be job loss and all that. But Typically, it's a net win. There are different jobs and higher skilled jobs. And typically, those people tend to earn more money. And so, you know, that might be a bit myopic. And I'm not saying there's no job destruction in some areas, but typically it's it's a net a net gain when the technology is deployed effectively and benefits the business, as we've said in previous podcasts. But I mean, it makes me wonder and think, you know, Andy's given a couple of examples of amazing technological innovations, but Andy, like there's got to be one or two that weren't quite, kind of didn't work out. (laughs) I can't wait to hear this. Yeah, (laughs) spill the beans, right? Like, have there been technologies that were deployed and that didn't work and perhaps why? Well, that's a risky question to answer. You know me, I could get into detail as to specifics on it, but I'm going to take it this way. If you look at numerous products or services, technological advances within any ag industry, it's more the pathway than the product. And the failures that are there are kind of driven by the pathway. And if it's ag related, it has to show value back to the farm. And if you don't start there and you don't show value back to the farm with a product or services you're going to bring back to, I mean, it's a return on investment, just like planting a seed or a tree or anything. Farmers want to know what that's going to be. If you take it up the supply chain and try to shove it back down, generally, it's not going to work very well. And uh, I learned from my mentor very early in my career that no farmer, no job. And my job to keep the farmer in business and every decision you make along the way needs to be based on the filter. How does this affect the farmer? And I guess that's kind of a broad way to avoid a direct (laughs) failure to your question, but it's pretty consistent. 
within the industry, whether it's a, a product, a service, a technology, et cetera. Well, we don't want to let anybody's like scaled inside of the closet. We get that. And <laughs> failure is also failure is also the start of success. Um, you know, if we if we weren't having some failures, we wouldn't find the best path forward. I mean, I commend people like John Deere for actively trying to figure out how electric tractors and how electric combines and stuff are going to work, even though there's a lot of really smart people saying you need to do better because I can't be 40, you know, you recognize there isn't chargers in the middle of my field. And I, you know, what happens if my battery runs dead on my combine? And now you have to send a semi out to load up my combine and haul it home. And by the way, I can't stop harvesting during that period of time. Will you do that? So again, back to your point, Andy, no farmer, no job. So right. Yeah. Funny you said it actually, because um, I remember really vividly, Andy, you know, speaking of mentors, you don't know this, but your accidental mentor of mine, um, I vividly remember sitting in a truck, we were driving from an orchard to a packing house, and we were chatting about the importance of spending time in the field, right? And how much I love it, because I learn something new every time. And you said something I'll never forget, which is, I think you said something was like, if you don't know how they grow, how do you expect to understand their business? And it was, I was, <laughs> it was just like, oh my goodness, of course. You know, so obvious and so material though. But, you know, speaking of getting in the field and understanding, you know, that's what you really do. Not every ag tech solution is actually a computerized solution. So I know that you're busy working on some ag tech solutions for the industry. Uh, and I do know that you're working on a super exciting uh, and innovative solution to identify problem. Before we get to that, can you give us a little background on apples? And I've got a question for you. I go into the store, see super, super waxy, shiny, amazing looking apples. What is that waxy stuff you see on conventional apples? Generally, it's carnauba wax, which is basically the same stuff you put on your car. And it falls back to 60 years ago, 50 years ago, when there was maybe two varieties of apples, three varieties of apples, a red, a golden, maybe a Granny Smith. And the decision as to who got the business had the shiniest apple. The buyer would make that decision on the shininess of the of the wax on the apple. So that's a little bit of the, of the background of it. Carnauba wax is generally the most uh, applied to conventional apples. It's made out of palm oil, which generally is sourced out of Brazil and Indonesia, and then processed, uh, brought into the States, and applied to the apples on the packing line before they go into the carton. And basically, uh, it's it's for an appearance decision. Uh, this makes me think all this time. I mean, I've been in the first industry for 25 years, and I didn't know that wax, that palm oil was a basis of that. And I've never heard anybody talk about it. Is it ethically sourced? I mean, palm oil is like one of the, the no-no ingredients, basically, on the list of things that people don't want to see done. Like, Correct. I mean, just I can I can say it because it was in Fortune magazine. There was a headline in there that turns out gummy bears might be made with slave labor. And it was the Harbo gummy bears and consumers finding out that they were coated with carnival wax. And boy, did they get hammered on social media over that whole event. Now I'm going to uh, feel bad eating gummy bears. Right. <laughs> oh, it's, good. it's good for your health and the planet. So I, I can't, I'm not going to say it is or it isn't, but I haven't done the research, but I've seen some articles about that. So yes, it's uh, pretty dated technology. So on the theme of, I guess, so we're talking about healthy decisions and things of that nature and changing trends and the like, obviously organics is becoming a, a big thing uh, for consumers and so forth. So, you know, is wax a problem on organics? Well, 
it's not a problem because it's not allowed. It's chemical and synthetic, and that's not allowable for organic certification. If you break down the numbers of the apple category over the last 20 years, I believe there's only been two years where there's been single-digit growth on organic apples in the category. Mostly, it's been double-digit growth, especially as the proliferation of all the new high-flavored varieties come out organically. And I can't help but think a big part of that reason is people don't like wax on their apples. And that's one of the reasons that drives them to organic apples, because they actually get the flavor of the fruit as, as it was intended, rather than covered with car wax. So if I'm understanding this right, like obviously wax was an ag tech, you know, very simple ag tech solution back in the earliest days to sell apples and make the shiniest apple. Now we're sort of here with organic apples today that don't even have a wax. But where does that leave organics? Does that, is it just that we, you know, we don't want wax? We, does it change their shelf life? That's exactly the cost of doing no wax. Now, wax marginally helps slow dehydration, very minimal effect on shelf life of an apple, to be honest with you, on conventional apple. Um, again, not allowed on organic. But the trade-off is an apple is respirating at a higher rate at retail or at home without a coating, and therefore it's maturing faster, and it develops its own natural wax to protect itself from dehydration. So their benefit on organic is it's producing its own wax. The retail downside of that is if the display is not rotated correctly or the fruit's out there too long, organic apples can appear to be pretty waxy which again, turns off the organic consumer because they're likely buying an organic apple, some of them because it's not wax coated. So problems to be solved because we're understanding this whole supply chain again. I love how it's always coming back to figure out what the problem is, solve it. So what's the solve? Well, interestingly enough, there's a product called Umbrella, which is an apple coating that's been developed originally out of necessity in Lebanon, of all places. A grad student was challenged by an apple grower who was driving him in a taxi and said, why can't you scientists make something that helps me get my apples to the market? What do you mean? Well, they always rot because if you think about it, electricity, there's maybe three hours a day rolling electricity in Lebanon. You can't afford to refrigerate your apples. So through his process, he was challenged uh, with a co-founder in the United States to make a coating for apples to extend the shelf life. And uh, they reached out to me about three and a half years ago. And I said, well, send me some product. I mean, I've been in the deal 30 years. I've tried every snake oil on apples to extend shelf life out there just because you have to. The results just in my testing were quite amazing. Uh, as far as reduction of decay, dehydration on the apples. So I said, well, can you make it organic? And they said, well, we'll see. So yeah, we can. So they made the product organic and we tested it over the last three years uh, commercially for over two years now. And the results have been fantastic because there really is not a 100% water-soluble, natural, vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, non-allergenic coating that you can apply onto an apple to extend the shelf life on organics other than what I've seen with the umbrella. Every company, big and small, relies on technology. From the field to the warehouse to administration, uptime stability is critical to your bottom line and to supply chain continuity. Cybersecurity is one of the greatest risks to modern agriculture. Contact Zag Technical Services for your technology risk assessment and let us check your tech. Visit zagtech.com. Rob, 
you and I talk about this, like mind blown. Every time somebody talks about something, and then I have more questions, right? Like, first of all, I didn't even know they grew apples in Lebanon. Now I'm curious what they actually, all the other things, why they only have three hours a day. Honestly, the U.S. is the greatest place. I have power all the time. So food waste, subsistence farming, developing nations, new markets. I mean, honestly, this is the whole reason tech exists, right? Like solving problems that are really at the heart of very, like, human problems, right? Not just making money, like making money is great. We all have to make money to do the next thing, but like this is very real human problems. Yeah. Just being able to get something you grow into somebody to consume, right? We take it for granted. It's just put it in the fridge. Well, guess what? There's no fridge there on it, but kind of Going back to you know the thoughts of, of the umbrella on apples, so right, so we did testing with it in the U.S. We currently have an entire marketing group under multi-year contracts with us for all of their organic apples. So it's going progressing very well here in the U.S. As far as again the pathway of this deal, when we started testing the umbrella, we started at the farm, the warehouse, the farm. It had to prove value to them in reduced waste, in extended shelf life, and a better product that would cover the cost of the product to advance it up the supply chain to where now the retailer gets the benefit of it because they're getting, if they're buying 40 pounds of apples, they're able to sell 40 pounds of apple because they tremendously reduce the dehydration of the apple. And then the consumer wins because they've got this apple that doesn't have a taste of car wax on it, right? It's got a longer shelf life. It's washable, tasteless, odorless. They don't even notice it's on there. And, you know, so it's it's an entire benefit up the supply chain, but it had to start at the farm once again. So when you think about this, you, you mentioned Lebanon, right? There's 14 apple growers that we're working with or coating apples in Lebanon right now that they're able to get their fruit into the market there. We're coating avocados. The difference in the umbrella coated avocados versus the non-coated, it allows them to slow the respiration and the maturing down long enough to allow that fruit to arrive in its export destination rather than and being sold as fresh rather than being processed because of the extended shelf life. So this isn't just for apples. This is for no. all kinds of fruit and vegetables. Yes, 100%. Um, that's what's amazing to me. I, you guys know, like I said, I'm an old timer. I've been in this deal a long time. I've never seen a product in my life that you couldn't find a downside to other than this product. It's affordable to make. It's natural. It's washable. It's basically tasteless and odorless, environmentally friendly. If you were to compare the production of Umbrella versus Carnuba wax, we take 4.2 times less land to coat a ton of apples to produce the product and 2.15 lower greenhouse gas emissions to also produce the raw material. So, you know, you win there, you win with food safety because it's a washable product. You're not cross-contaminating anything in the deal. Extended shelf life. Uh, it's it's just it's fun. That's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, it's, it's interesting because that's like a laundry list. It's just checkbox after checkbox of what makes for a successful tech product. But we've all been around tech long enough to know that invariably we start out often with a lot of pushback, and then you feel like you you know for every step forward it's ten backwards and all that kind of stuff. I mean, did you get pushback on this? You know, I've got some really good retail contacts in the United States and presented the umbrella with virtually all the upside and no downside for them. And they allowed us to do commercial testing. Uh, it'll be, well, two years ago in April so when we started. That's grown into, you know, full on applications with 
some major packer shippers in Washington state. The amazing part of that is we've coated around 250 million organic apples umbrella. And to this date, we've not had on our website, on a shipper's website, on a customer's website, any feedback or pushback or, hey, what's on my apple? Why is this apple lasting longer? Or why is this apple not greasy or anything? Because it's a plant-based, washable, water-soluble coating and it's tasteless and odorless. And so for me, that's the end win of this deal. The consumer wins on it. But again, going back to our earliest conversation, we had to start at the farm and prove value along the whole chain. At the end of the day, the retailer and the consumer get a great benefit with the umbrella coating as well. It's amazing. You know, Melinda, I think when I look back at this conversation with Andy today, and this is AgTech 101 lesson for how you take a product to market. We didn't set out to do that with Andy, but I think it's what's happened here is that, you know, Andy has shown a path forward for a lot of our ag tech entrepreneurs about being customer centric, about focusing on the field, solving real genuine problems for people and then adding immense value to, in this case, the end consumer, you and me, when we buy produce in the store. Well, I think that's exactly it. And Andy can probably attest to this, right? And you're in Silicon Valley, Rob, you see it. Somebody says, oh, there's a problem. Let's solve it. So we start at a level of saying like food waste is a problem, right? We identify a problem. Now, rich people and smart people throw money at it. And but like nobody bothers to go ask somebody in the supply chain what they really need or how they're going to apply it. Andy, what happens when that happens? Like, tell us why it fails, right? Like you made a cool thing. You have an idea for food waste, but who didn't you talk to? Right. Didn't talk to the farmer. And now all of a sudden we have something that's too expensive, too complicated. I need more equipment than I needed before. Your application process doesn't work. I love the fact that you said like in developing nations, they can put this on with a spray bottle. They don't need fancy equipment. They can dip this in a bucket if they need to. And it solves their problem. We didn't didn't price anybody out of the market. A hundred percent. I mean, at the end of the day, that's the big picture. The big win is food gets consumed rather than thrown into the landfill or just left on the ground, right? And I'm not talking about in the United States. We've got more than enough. And this is why Umbrella to me is exciting. It's a vehicle to make this happen. And it's, it's a real thing. We've proven it here. We've proven it in a, in a very skeptical industry, Washington State. When you look at Apple packing lines, Rob, you were up here. You saw the technology on it. The most antiquated part of an Apple packing line is where the wax is applied, right? That hasn't changed in 60 years. And now we've got a product that can benefit not only conventional apples, but organic apples in a huge way and drive sales in categories because I'm up here in the growing area. I see these guys planting trees every year, more trees, taking trees out, planting more high densities. And so we've got to drive more consumption, not just domestically, but around the world. But I think in a bigger way for me, the exciting part, the inspiring part of this whole deal is the fact that, again, with a simple cost-effective application, food around the world can get into people's, into their bodies rather than being wasted. Amazing. That's the fundamental part of like the whole food conversation, right? That we need to produce more food and there are people all around, like not just here in the States, but all around the world who need more access to food, whether it's healthier food, whether it's more food, whether it's more affordable food. Andy, I've known you for a long time. You're one of the great thinkers in our industry. You're always looking at ways to change kind of 
wondering what's next. You're a big idea guy. So what do you think's next for our industry? What's coming or what should we be thinking about that we should be solving? Or or maybe there's something that you're already working on that's going to change the course of our industry in big and small ways. One thing that intrigues me is food is medicine. It's a great thing to say and do, but every growing commodity needs to take a hard look at what are they doing for their medicine and making sure they're doing the right things. In example of apples, why are we putting on carnauba wax that has morpholine carriers in it? Why is morpholine banned in the in the EU? Well, because there's potentially cancer causing issues with morpholine wax or morpholine as a carrier. So I think to me, you know, whether it's salads, you know, tomatoes, blueberries, everything, we need to take a hard look at this deal and, and really prove to ourselves that we're doing things the right way for the right reasons. Because if we do that at the end of the day, food is medicine, right? Fruits and vegetables are medicine. They're the best thing for us. It takes hard work, sunshine, bees, technology, and honesty to bring all of that to people. And I think that's basically um, a big idea. <laughs> Andy, you probably know this. We've seen lots of people come and go in the industry. We see generational businesses. We've joked for years, uh, people come to the produce industry, they either love it or they hate it if they come from outside the industry. If they love it, they'll know it right away and they'll stay for life because they love the people. They love the energy. They love the speed of business and change. They hate it. They'll be gone in 12 to 18 months because like, they don't understand how we're all so crazy and operate this way. Yeah, it's truly a, a, a lifelong sickness, right? If you like it, it's great. The people are amazing. Connecting with farm communities and farmers is just, it's the best. And been very blessed to have been able to do that for, uh, oh, over three decades now. And uh, technology part of the deal, to me, is really exciting. Getting to know what Robert's doing and his team and stuff and trying to integrate that in my mind as far as back to the farm and the field and what are people, what benefits can they glean out of that? It's untapped and it's it uh, keeps you going every day, right? Awesome. Well, Andy and Rob, I am so excited that we've been able to have this conversation today. Andy, thank you for making some time to join us. I can't wait to chat with our next guest and learn how ag is really transforming our industry in big and small ways, just like Umbrella and other ideas out there. I can't wait to see how we're going to continue to use tech to increase our efficiency and our resilience in the food chain. And thank you to the Packer for allowing us to uh, share some of this content on the tip of the ice. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. I've seen those apple grading and sorting machines in several New York apple packing houses, and it is absolutely amazing. And any coding that's better for the environment, workers, me, and affordable and tasteless sounds like some tech worth checking out. And as someone who's had a slight concern and excitement about all this generative GPT AI tech that's recently out. I'm keenly, well, concerned and excited about how it will affect all of our jobs across industries. So hearing about jobs and how they'll change, that's interesting. Anyway, check out our other Tip of the Iceberg podcast episodes. In our last episode, we heard from Matt King of Simplified Trade about how to make sure your store locations are properly executing your produce promotions. You'd be surprised, or maybe not, how often they're not. If you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button and rate us. And try out our professional development courses that are free on produceedu.com. 
you can put it on your LinkedIn as continuing education courses that you've done. And it can help when you're asking for a raise or a new role or a new job. And in this episode's show notes, you can find many ways to follow us for more produce information, news, tips, and insights. Thanks so much. Talk to you next time.